If you open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1 and verse 17, I want to read a scripture to you. Romans chapter 1 and verse number 17. Romans chapter 1 and verse 17. Let's all pay attention to the Word of God this morning. And uh, let's give our undivided attention to the Word of God. And uh, let's not be on Facebook and Instagram. And let's just pay attention. If you're looking at the Bible app, that's good. But always remember the love my neighbor attitude. Your neighbor is watching what you're doing, all right? So if you're clicking on Facebook, somebody's watching you, all right? If you're posting, somebody's going to see what you post when you leave this building. So let's be respectful. Let's give our undivided attention. And let's be honoring of the word of God this morning. Thank you for that attitude and thank you for that heart this morning. I know you have a wonderful heart. Amen. Romans chapter 1, verse number 17. Verse number 17. For it, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live. Come on, say it with me. The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. This morning, for a few moments, I want to preach on the thought, one scripture changed the world. One scripture changed the world. Say that with me. One scripture changed the world. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have. Thank you for these wonderful people who have worshipped this morning, who will give, who are listening this morning. Open our ears and our hearts to hear your word. Let it go forth in power. Let it go forth in boldness. And I pray that we will be transformed by your word this morning, that we would not be found just faithful, but we'll be found fruitful. And everyone shouted a great big amen. One scripture changed the world. Now many people today are celebrating a holiday that's called Halloween. But this morning I'm not going to deal with the Halloween or the holiday called Halloween. I want to deal with something that's greater than trick-or-treating. I want to deal with something that's greater than Halloween this morning. I want to just for a few moments look at something theologically, and I want to look at something historical this morning. Now, I want you to open your ears and our hearts this morning because I'm not necessarily going to preach a hype sermon to make you shout all over this building. I love sermons like that. I'm not necessarily going to give you a deep, profound sermon that when you leave this morning, you're so confused. But I'm going to give you a practical sermon where you can remember this week that it relates to your life and your neighbor's life. And I want you to pay attention to I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to speak something to you. I want to tell you something that happened in history that still affects us today. Something that was so profound that happened in history that has affected millions of people even today. Over 504 years ago, something happened that was called the Great Reformation of the Christian Church. Now, Pastor Engel, Vernell Engel, 
is a professor and has been a professor for many years at Messenger College. And I remember one time in our conversation, Pastor Ingalls said to his students, because I had some of his students in my uh, cults and false religions class, they said that Pastor Ingalls said that he would not pass them in his class if they did not know what happened on October the 31st, 1517. And I would say to you this morning that if you don't know what happened on October the 31st, 1517, I have certainly failed as a pastor. You need to know what happened because it was revolutionary. You need to know this. This is basic Christian history. And it's interesting to me that we grow up in Pentecostalism and we shout and holler, run the aisles, and we know a whole lot about some things. But yet when somebody gets up to preach something we've never heard before, we want to turn them off. And I don't want you to turn me off this morning. I want you to listen because this is revolutionary and this is something that has changed the world. And you and I are a part of that change this morning. So I don't agree with Pastor Engel. This is a very important subject, and you need to know it as a Christian. Over 500 years ago, over 500 years ago, there was one dominant church or one dominant religion in the world. It was a dominant religious force. Now, today, if you drive down the streets of America, you will see all types of churches. You might see the Church of the Nazarene. You might see an Assemblies of God church. You might see the Church of the Brethren. You might see a Presbyterian church or an Episcopalian church. It's very common for you to go down to the streets, Wall Street, Main Street of America, and see different types of churches. But over 500 years ago, that did not exist. There was one dominant church, one dominant religion, one dominant force in the world. And that church was called the Roman Catholic Church. That Roman Catholic Church, their headquarters, was in Rome, primarily because some of the apostles lived, worked, and did ministry in Rome, and so the headquarters was in Rome. And so that church was very powerful. Matter of fact, it was a strong religious system. Not only was the church very powerful, but it, was, it had very great power in the politics. It was, had great political power. In fact, history tells us that the Church of Rome, the Catholic Church, had the power to crown kings and uncrowned kings. The hierarchy of the church controlled what people thought about the church and controlled what people believed about the Bible. The Bible was not uh, ready, available to people to read and study like it is today. The Roman Catholic Church controlled how people understood the scriptures. The clergy in the church was illiterate. Most of them could not read or even write but they were trained by the hierarchy of the church to control the faithful. They had the ability, the, the Catholic Church became so corrupt in its doctrines and its practices that some people understood and recognized that there needed to be a reform in the church. The church became corrupted, and the church became corrupted in its practices. And most people believed that the church needed to be reformed. There needed to be a revival. There needed to be a new way of thinking, a new way of doing things. There needed to throw out 
the old corrupted practices and go back to the Bible. And in around the 16th century, you could feel the tension in the air. There was a tension in the air. The printing press was new. People were reading. People were understanding things at a greater depth. And people were understanding that some of the practices of the church were corrupt and there needed to be a change. There was a man by the name of Martin Luther. Martin Luther was a German Catholic monk who later became a priest. And Martin Luther, in his story, would tell many stories of how Martin Luther struggled with the doctrines of this church. Not only did he struggle with the doctrines of this corrupted church, but he struggled with his own soul. For instance, the Catholic Church taught that if you gave money, it is possible that your dead relatives who are in purgatory could be released and go into heaven. They also believed that money was, uh, was a form of indulgences. That if you gave a certain type of money or certain amount of money, it's possible that you could reserve your spot in heaven. St. Peter's Basilica in Rome to this day was built on the money from indulgences from those peasants. So millions of people and thousands of people would give money to the church hoping that they would be redeemed, hoping that in the end they would be saved. Martin Luther, who was this priest, Martin Luther, who was this ordained priest, this pastor in the Catholic church, who were not, not only was he a priest, not only was he a professor, but he was a devout follower of the church. And he wanted to follow the church. He wanted to do what the church told him to do because in the end, Martin Luther wanted to be saved. And the Catholic church said that if you want to be saved, you've got to follow us. You've got to follow our sacraments. You've got to follow our practices. You've got to do what we tell you to do. And in the end, you will be saved. But my friends, Martin Luther could never feel peace and assurance. Martin Luther could never feel peace and assurance by doing what the church told him to do. The church would tell him to do this and to do this and to do these practices and attend mass. And if you did these things, then your soul would be saved in the end. But my friends, Martin Luther struggled with his own soul. I remember reading about Martin Luther's life and at one occasion, in one story, Martin Luther said that he stayed in the confessional booth for hours, agonizing over his sin. He would confess his sin to the priest to the point where his pastor became so burdened by Martin Luther's sin and confession of sin that his pastor told Martin Luther to stop. Because Martin Luther was so vexed by his own sin, he needed security. He needed a sense of assurance that he was going to make it to heaven, that his soul would be saved in the end. And no matter what the church told him to do, he could not find peace. And no matter what the church told him to do, he couldn't find resolution in his soul. He longed to be saved. He longed to do what's right. He longed to do what the church told him to do. But yet on the inside, he could never feel peace. During that time that Martin Luther was struggling, there was another preacher by the name of John Tetzel. John Tetzel was a priest or preacher 
that was commissioned by the Vatican or by the Holy See or the hierarchy of the church. And this man would go and preach and he would tell people that if you drop a coin in this coffin or this basket or this box, a soul from purgatory will spring. So he told the faithful, if you drop your coin, your money, into the box, a soul from purgatory will spring. You see, the Catholic Church taught that there was an intermediate state. There is heaven and there is hell, but there is also an intermediate state called purgatory. That people who wasn't too bad of a sinner, but wasn't too good to go to heaven, would go to purgatory and they would be purged by the fires of purgatory. And they believe that the prayers and the masses and the money that you give on planet earth could release people out of purgatory. But isn't that good news to some folks? That maybe your dead mother or your dead father or your dead relatives, maybe it's possible they had a second chance. So John Tetzel said, if you just drop your little coin into the box, a soul from purgatory will spring. Can you imagine all of those peasants and all of those faithful Christians giving their money, hoping that their dead relatives would be delivered from the fires of purgatory? John Martin Luther saw the corrupt practices of the church. He knew within himself that there was something wrong with this. There was something wrong with bleeding the people of God of their money so that their dead relatives could go to heaven. Now, I don't mean to preach this morning, but it almost seems as though this is happening today. You flip on Christian television and they will say, sow a seed and you'll get your seven types of blessings in seven days. Y'all better help me preach this morning. It's a form of indulgences. Can I just stop and say this? Can we, just, can we just give to the Lord and give to His church without somebody getting behind the microphone and hyping you up to get a promise and a blessing? Can we just learn to be generous? Can we just learn to be giving? Can we just learn to be merciful without a promise of a blessing? But hasn't that corrupted the church today? You give a little bit and you'll get a blessing. Listen, I, 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 was, I had my share in that. And at one time I believed in some of that. And I am not saying that all of it's wrong, but I am saying that there are threads of indulgences through some of the practices that we even do today. Martin Luther became upset. And indulgences was the great motivator that sparked the great Protestant Reformation. You know what Martin Luther did? Martin Luther, he was a professor, remember, in Germany. It was common in Germany, especially in those days, that you would write down, especially as a professor, you would write down some points of concerns in religion, because remember, religion controlled the political climate of the day. So he would, it was very common for you to write down some points of discussion and people would talk about it. So he, Martin Luther, wrote down 95 points, or what we call thesis, 
He wrote down 95 points. And Martin Luther went to the door in the church in Wittenberg. He went to the door and he nailed 95 points to the door. Martin Luther, when he wrote down his points, he was protesting against the church. He was protesting against the church. Now, Martin Luther didn't realize what big of an event this would turn out to be because they had the printing press. People started reading it. People went to the door of the church and they started reading these 95 points that Martin Luther wrote. And remember, there was already tension in the atmosphere. People were already thinking the church needed to change, that some of its doctrines were corrupted and the practices were corrupted. And a brave young man by the name of Martin Luther was brave enough to write down what he thought and nail it to the Wittenberg Door Church in Germany. People started reading it. And so since they had the printing press, they began to print off all of this and people began to read it. And they began to agree with Martin Luther that something needed to change. And that, my friends, started the unofficial movement called the Protestant Reformation. The Protestant Reformation. Because somebody stood up and believed that some things needed change. It's kind of like a billboard, you know, or a bulletin board. Some old school churches have bulletin boards in their foyer, and you can go and read some things. That's what the front door of the church was kind of like. And when he nailed those 95 points to the door, people begin to read it, begin to, pre begin to uh, uh, make copies of it, and that started what we know as the Protestant Reformation. He started to protest against the church. Now let me say this, and let me say it loud and clear. Martin Luther never wanted to break away from the church. He wanted to reform the church. Martin Luther's heart wasn't to bring division. Martin Luther loved the church. Martin Luther cared for the church. Martin Luther was ordained by the church. Martin Luther loved his church. He didn't want to bring division. He saw what was wrong and wanted to bring reform. He wanted to bring reformation. He wanted it to be one church, but a reformed church. But they didn't listen, nor did they want to change. And some, sometimes, my friends, when people don't want to change, you've got to break off. So Martin Luther eventually broke off from the Roman church. And thus, that's why you got the Lutheran church. breaks away. He says, we have to change. The corrupt practices of the church was not only indulgences, giving money so that your dead relatives could be delivered from the fires of purgatory. 
but not only did the Roman church teach indulgences, but they taught that salvation was by works. That you had to do what the church said to do and you would be saved in the end. It was a work-based theology. I've said this before in church, but I think it is noteworthy for me to say it again. That the Roman church taught what we call fusion theology. Do you know what fusion theology is? Fusion theology is very, very simple. Fusion theology says this, I obey the church and do what the church tells me to do and then I take a step towards God because I did what the church told me to do. And as I take a step towards God, God takes a step towards me. And when I obey the church, I take a step towards God. And then God will take a step towards me. Come here, Pastor Sean, quickly. Fusion theology is this. Quickly, run up here. Fusion theology is this. I want to be God today. I'll let you be the miserable sinner, okay? You do what the church tells you to do. You take a step. Then God will take a step. You do what the church tells you to do. You attend mass. You give the money. You do what the hierarchy tells you to do. And then they say you'll take a step towards God. And God will take a step towards you. Therefore, you never know if you're really saved or not until you die. Because you don't know how many steps you really took. So all your life, you're taking steps toward God when you obey the church. And God will take steps towards you. And eventually, hopefully, you'll be fused. You'll become one with God in the end if you obey the church. Martin Luther was so upset. Martin Luther was like, how many steps should I take? How much good should I do? How many church services should I attend? How much money should I give? How many sins should I confess? What, sh what more should I do? And every time he did what the church told him to do, there was no peace and no reassurance in his soul that his soul would be saved in the end. I'm telling you this. Listen to what Pastor Josh is saying. Everything that is great is always birthed out of a struggle. Everything that is great is always birthed out of somebody or someone that is in struggle. Because he was struggling, it birthed one of the greatest reformations that there was ever in the history of the Christian church. Now, let me say this. The Protestant Reformation wasn't always good. As a matter of fact, there were some bad things that happened. People would go into Catholic churches and desecrate the altar, remove symbols of the church out. They wanted to strip the church of everything that looked like it was Catholic. There was bloodshed. I don't agree with all that. I don't think that should happen. But the problem, or the, my point is, there needed to be reform, but it needed to be done the right way. You can do it the right way. You can take care of problems the right way. Martin Luther stood up. And you know what happened to Martin Luther? I'm about to shout. Martin Luther got a Bible. 
Isn't it interesting? Don't you think a priest should read the Bible? Martin Luther got the Bible. Started to read the Bible. And he come across a scripture. Pastor Ingle, am I right? What was the scripture? Romans chapter 1. And verse number. And what did the scripture say? The just shall live. Just then Martin Luther was like, hold on. The just, the righteous, shall live by faith, not by the church. Not by the rules of the church. Not by how many masses I go to or how much money I give. No, no, how many hours I spend in the confessional booth. It's by faith. And then as he was reading, the scripture says in the book of Romans that Abraham believed God and it was what? It was counted to him as what? Or the King James says it was imputed to him. Righteousness. Do you know what to impute means? What does it mean? Forgiven, pardoned, right? So Martin Luther had a revelation. Now, Sean, come up here and be the sinner again. Martin Luther had a revelation, remember? Now, I know I've already talked about fusion theology four years ago, but there's new people here, you need to hear it again. It's okay, bro. It's all right. I'll buy you lunch afterwards, okay? <laughs> Fusion, the Catholic Church said, you do what I tell you to do, and you'll take a step towards God. Attend Mass. God will come to you. Go to the confessional booth. God will come towards you. Say your our fathers and Hail Marys, God will come towards you until eventually you'll be fused. But then Martin Luther read, the just shall live by Martin Luther said, hold on, hold on. I don't know how many steps I need to take towards God. Not saying that attending church and giving is a bad thing. It's a good thing. But I don't know how much to do. How many good works should I do? He later found out that you're not saved by works, but you're saved by grace. And through grace, it is by grace that you're saved. Not of yourself or not of your works. Least any man should boast but it's through the grace of God. Martin Luther, when he read, the just shall live by faith. And then he read that Abraham believed God and it was imputed or counted to him as righteousness. So the difference is, the Catholic Church taught fusion, taking steps. But then he read the Bible and understood that when the sinner believes in God, all God does 
is pardons him from his sin. You don't have to take all these steps trying to figure out if you can get to God or not. God comes to you and pardons you whether you take a step or whether you don't take a step or not. Just then, Martin Luther's soul was revived. Just then, revival, reformation happened on the inside of Martin Luther. And just then, it was like a light bulb, illumination, Holy Ghost revelation went off on the inside of Martin Luther. And just then, he realized that sometimes I don't have the energy to run to God. I don't know how many steps to get to God. Sometimes I don't even know where God's at. But if I believe in Him, and I trust Him, and I put my faith in Him, He will pardon in me he will pardon me Abraham believed God and it was imputed without him taking all the steps God says you're forgiven thank you just then Martin Luther yes I've tried so I tried so long to please God. I have went to Mass after Mass. I have said the prayers. I have confessed my sin and there's no hope. I don't feel no assurance. I'm still struggling with the guilt of my sin. I'm doing everything the church tells me to do, but there's no peace on the inside of me. One scripture changed his life. And I'm telling you today, if one scripture can change Martin Luther's life, what can one scripture do to you? What will happen if you pick up the Bible and get the Bible inside of you? It has the potential to change your life. One scripture changed his life. I am not here to badmouth the Catholic Church. Matter of fact, I defend Catholic Church. I've studied it for years, wrote papers on it. I've attended Mass and talked to priests. So I'm certainly not speaking against it. There are people in the church that love Jesus, saved and spirit-filled, and want to bring a revival in the Catholic Church. And Pope John Paul, before he died, he put his blessing on the charismatic movement within the Catholic Church and said, and I quote, the gifts of the Spirit is still operative even in the Catholic Church. So I'm not against it. I'm against the corrupted practices against Scripture. against the corrupt practices against Scripture. Well, Pastor, what about all the sexual molestation? Well, what about the preachers who run off with their secretaries in the Protestant church? What about pastors who look at porn? What about that, folks? They just get more recognition because they're bigger than us. Just then, Martin Luther broke away 
He said, I, I don't want to divide the church. I want to reform it. The Catholic Church condemned him as a heretic. They asked him to deny his works, burn his books. Martin Luther stood before the hierarchy of the church. He said, I can't. I can't go against the word of God in my conscience. I can't go against it. church deemed him as a heretic. But that was all right with Martin. He left the church, said, I got to follow the word. He says, some of your practices, you are doing stuff that's not even written in the Bible. It's corrupted. He said, I'm going to go back to the Bible. I'm going to go back to Jesus. Quit all this praying to all the saints. Let's pray to Jesus. Let's get back to the Bible. Let's live holy once again. He said, you know what? Let's get back to the pulpit. Let's get back to Scripture. Have you ever noticed when you go to some churches, there's a communion table right here, and then there's the pulpit above it? Because as Protestants, we believe the preaching of the word should be before you put the communion elements in your mouth. The word is superior. Millions of people were going to church putting bread and juice in their mouth. And they didn't understand anything that was going on because the language was lacking. They were just going. It was, a, it was a show. Thousands would attend church and sit there, stand, listening to languages they don't understand. As the priests did their thing on the stage and incense, it looked so mystical and so godly. But nobody understood anything that was going on. Reminds me of modern day churches today. We got some pastors so deep they're stuck. You don't understand a thing they're saying. People sit in church seats looking like this. As if we're looking at a show on the stage. Martin Luther said, it's not about that. It's not about me performing a show to the faithful or the laity. All of us are a priesthood and God is the audience. Martin Luther said there was five points. He said we got to get back to. He said number one, we got to get back to the scripture. Scripture alone. Sola scriptura. Scripture alone. We got to get back to the Bible. And if it's not found in the Bible, we shouldn't do it. Tradition and scripture is not equal, according to Martin Luther. Scripture is above tradition. The Catholic Church said tradition tells us we should do this. But Martin Luther said, no, 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 no. There's no proof. Let's put the Bible 
before tradition. I know tradition says infants should be baptized, but what does the Bible say? Let's get back to the Bible and put the Bible above tradition. You hear me? I know tradition says that you should do this. Number two, not only sola scriptura, he says let's get back to faith alone. We are saved through faith and we're not saved through the church. Number three, grace alone. We are saved by grace and the grace of God alone. Number four, he said, it's Christ alone. Number five, it's for the glory of God alone that all we do is to build the glory of God. That's what we do. You see, my friends, 504 years ago, a brave man on today, October the 31st, 1517, a brave man stood against the corrupt practices of his church, nailed 95 points to the door, and said, things must change or I'm changing. And today, I'm telling you this, that if one scripture can change Martin Luther's life and change the world, what can the Scriptures do for you? If the Scriptures change the course of Christianity, what can the Scriptures do in your life? How powerful is the Bible? What can it do in your life? If the Scriptures changed His, changed the course of history, it can change us. Number one, that's what you can learn from today's sermon. Number two, nothing great ever happens without a struggle. Sometimes there's a struggle before a reformation and a struggle before a breakthrough and a struggle before a break loose. Sometimes there's that struggle and tension before there's a breakthrough or reformation. That's what you can learn. Number one, scriptures can change your life. There's always a struggle before reformation. And number three, you can learn that truth is not popular. Sometimes you've got to stand up and proclaim the truth even when it's not popular in our society, in our culture. And that's what Martin Luther did. He stood against the religious force and the institution, a very powerful institution, and says, I cannot go against the Word of God and my conscience. Number four, you know what this teaches me? That men of character change the world. The church deemed him as a heretic, but it didn't matter to Martin Luther. He wasn't going to go against his conscience. He wasn't going to go against the Word of God. He was a man of character. In spite of what they said about him or to him, he remained strong. And that's what I pray. Pray that God would raise up people like that. I pray that God would give us people like that. Give us a heart to know the scriptures. Give us a heart that would stand in truth. 
Give us people of character. Give us people of passion. And the last thing that you can learn in closing, when Martin Luther left the church, they taught the celibacy of the priesthood. Martin Luther left the church and married a nun. Brother Ingle, how many kids did he have? Do you know? Six children. And he discovered, he said in one of his journals, that marriage was a wonderful thing instituted by God. That's what you can learn. So as you trick and treat tonight, eat all the candy you want. Have a wonderful time. But let's remember, let's teach our children that somebody stood up for the truth. And we have churches today that's Protestant because somebody believed in standing for the truth even against a religious institution that was stronger than them. Let's stand for the truth. Amen.